What's up, everybody? This is your host, Drew, coming at you with another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Since the Buffalo Bills have opened up training camp this past week, I thought it would be a fun idea to go over some of the best quarterbacks the Buffalo Bills have had since Jim Kelly. I will also talk a little bit about whether or not I think Josh Allen is the next franchise quarterback that the Bills have desperately, desperately, desperately needed since the departure of Jim Kelly. Stick around. Let's have some fun. Before we jump into this week's show, I just want to take a time out to say thank you to everyone who has continuously listened to me week after week since the beginning of this podcast. We have grown slowly but surely, and for that, I thank you. Now let's keep the ball rolling and this podcast growing by you sharing me with your friends and family, your coworkers, or just anybody that you know that likes to listen to sports talk about Buffalo. Let them know you can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor. They can also follow me on Twitter at SportstalkBuffalo716. Again, thank you for all the support. Now let's jump right into the episode. All right, let's kick off the top of the show as we always do with some top stories from around sports. In the NFL, QB Mark Sanchez retires after 10 seasons in the NFL. Sanchez finishes with 15,357 yards, 86 touchdowns, and 89 interceptions. Sanchez is seemingly most known for his quote-unquote butt fumble, but did lead the New York Jets team to a back-to-back AFC Championship games. Sanchez will become an ESPN analyst. Cincinnati Bengals sign wide receiver Tyler Boyd to a four-year $43 million deal to remain in Cincy. Boyd is coming off of a 76-reception, 1,028-yard, and 7-touchdown season in 2018, and Buffalo Bills fans might remember him as he had the catch that ultimately helped the Buffalo Bills get into the playoffs for the first time in almost two decades. Also in the NFL, the NFL suspends Seattle Seahawks defensive tackle Jerron Reed for the first six games of the 2019 season for violating the league's personal conduct policy. The violation stems from a domestic violence case from 2017. In the NHL, the Vegas Golden Knights have signed defenseman Derek England to a one-year deal worth $700,000 in base salary with incentives that could lead up to $1.5 million. Also in the NHL, the Nashville Predators have signed forward Colton Sissons to a seven-year, $20 million contract. Sissons had 15 goals and 30 points in 75 games this past season. Also in the NHL, St. Louis has re-signed forward Oscar Sundquist to a four-year, $11 million contract. In 75 games this past season, he scored 14 goals and had 17 assists. In a, way, in a recent way-too-early power rankings by ESPN and the NHL, the Tampa Bay Lightning take the top spot while they place the Buffalo Sabres at 29th, just ahead of New Jersey and Ottawa. Also in sports, in boxing, junior welterweight boxer Maxim Dadashev 
died Tuesday morning as a result of brain injuries suffered in the 11th round in an 11th round KO loss. Dadashev was just 28 years old. That's going to do it for our top stories in sports this week. Stick around as I'm going to talk about the best quarterbacks the Buffalo Bills have had since Jim Kelly and whether or not I believe Josh Allen is our next franchise quarterback. All right, welcome back to episode number 26 of Sports Talk Buffalo. Let's jump right into things and start talking about the best quarterbacks we have had since Jim Kelly. It is obviously no surprise that the Bills have very much struggled in this aspect of the game and trying to find their franchise quarterback. The Bills have actually found some pretty decent stopgap guys to try to figure out who their franchise guy is. They did think that they might have a franchise guy uh, in a couple of these guys, paid a couple of these guys, or at least one or two of these guys, uh, some, some pretty big money, some pretty substantial money. But in the end, obviously, they did not end up working out. Uh, in this list, I'm going to do the top four guys, in my opinion, since Jim Kelly, of course. We're not going to count some of the guys before Kelly, that may or may not be some of the best quarterbacks in Bills history. Now, since Jim Kelly, the Bills have made the playoffs two times, okay? One time in 1999 and one time in 2017. Both of those uh, quarterbacks are going to be on this list, so it is no surprise there. Let's start off with the fourth best quarterback I think the Bills have had since Jim Kelly, and it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. That is going to go to show you how not great this list is. But then again, Fitzpatrick did have a few pretty solid seasons in Buffalo. The reason why I put him on this list, people are probably going to give me some dirty looks, and and they might even shut this podcast off after I say Ryan Fitzpatrick's name as one of the best quarterbacks we have had since Jim Kelly But the reason why I put him on this list is he is third all-time in passing yards in Bills history. Think about that. Third all-time in franchise history in passing yards. How could he not be on this list? The only two people he is behind in in terms of passing yards in franchise history is, of course, Jim Kelly and Joe Ferguson. In his... uh, He had played roughly four years for the Buffalo Bills. In his first year, he didn't play all 16 games. He, as a starter, he was uh, four and four, had a 55.9% completion percentage, threw for 1,422 yards, nine touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. Now, do I really think that those numbers are going to put a lot of confidence in the Buffalo Bills as to him being a potential long-term starter, I wouldn't really think so, and I would have absolutely been looking for a replacement as soon as he posted numbers like that. But he came back the next season, and of course, the wins were never there for Fitzpatrick. He never really had a decent defense to really help him uh, kind of carry the team. In his second year, he was he had four wins, nine losses. He had a 57.8 completion percentage. He threw for exactly... 3,000 yards, and he had a pretty, he had an okay touchdown to interception ratio. 
He had 23 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. Now, again, those aren't world beater numbers. Those numbers don't necessarily jump off the page to you, but they are, unfortunately, some of the best numbers we have seen since Jim Kelly. So the Bills rolled with him again for another season. In year three, he went 6-10 and with a 62.0 completion percentage. He did throw for 3,832 yards. That is a, a very big number, one of the biggest since Jim Kelly, actually. He did throw for 24 touchdowns, but the big glaring thing in this season was that he also threw 23 interceptions. That was always Fitzpatrick's downfall while playing for the while while playing his entire career is he always has really really great moments and then just has really really terrible moments and that is kind of the roller coaster that has been Fitzpatrick's career. Now in his next year, in his fourth and final year in uh, Buffalo Bills uniform, he had another pretty solid season. The team still finished six and ten but he threw for a 60.6 completion percentage, 3,400 yards, 24 touchdowns, and 16 interceptions. Again, not world beater numbers, but good enough to, it should have been good enough in my opinion to get you more than six wins. Again, in in the Fitzpatrick years, I don't really remember them having any sort of halfway decent defense. And after that, the Bills did move on from Ryan Fitzpatrick. And unfortunately, I believe that is when they drafted EJ Manuel. And as much as we put a lot of hate on EJ Manuel, I never really thought that he got a fair shake in Buffalo. He had some really good moments. He had some really poor moments. But I think he was really a casualty of being drafted too high or higher than what he really should have been in an incredibly poor quarterback class that was, I believe, the 2013 uh, NFL draft class. But moving on on the list, the next quarterback, in my opinion, the third best quarterback that we've had since Jim Kelly, Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe. Ladies and gentlemen, Drew Bledsoe was a pretty good quarterback in New England. I think the reason why Drew Bledsoe ended up leaving New England is because of that massive hit that he took. I believe it broke some ribs and maybe even potentially punctured a lung. I'm I'm not quite sure. I don't remember the exact injury, but then in step Tom Brady and of course the Buffalo Bills uh, have been unfortunately just shredded by Brady ever since along with the rest of the league. And that kind of started the, the, uh, the New England Patriots dynasty. But then we ended up getting Drew Bledsoe, and Bledsoe had a decent record uh, as the Bills starter. I want to say decent record. He was under 500 as the Bills starter, but he had an okay record as the Bills starter. He had a 23-25 and 25 record as the starter, and in the first year, he brought a team that was, I believe the year before, they had something like three or four wins, and he doubled their wins uh, in, in his first year in Buffalo with not a whole lot of help. In his first year in Buffalo, he went 8-8, eight and eight, threw for a 61.5 completion percentage. And this is a big statistic, something that we have not had since this year of Drew Bledsoe. Somebody throw for over 4,000 yards. Nobody has thrown for 4,000 yards since the first year Drew Bledsoe got here. And that's 
kind of crazy, especially the fact that it is such a a pass-heavy league now. The fact that nobody has thrown for 4,000 yards since this year of Drew Bledsoe, but he threw for 4,359 yards. He had 24 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. In terms of yards, very, very good. Um, Top, you know, top of the league in terms of yards. Touchdowns, pretty decent in terms of touchdowns and interceptions. Again, that's kind of a problem, and I believe that's, you know, part of the reason why the Bills only ended up 8-8 eight and eight that year, along with the fact that their defense, again, you know, in the Bledsoe years, I don't remember it being that good. I remember it being bottom half of the league. Again, if I think a lot of the problem with the Bills over the years and, and why they have not been consistently able to make the playoffs, they've, they've always been a middle-of-the-road team. They've always had either a pretty good offense or a pretty good defense. They've never had a pretty good offense and defense together in the same in the same breath. Um, and I think that's really what fails them on consistency and what has always made them realistically a middle of the road team, anywhere from six and ten to like nine and seven. That's usually where the Bills fell. They never really got bad enough to be in the conversation for a number one overall pick. There was a couple of years since Jim Kelly where they, I mean, they were really bad. Where, Like I said, three wins, four wins, but there wasn't many of those. They were always kind of a middle of the road team. In Bledsoe's year two, he was six and 10. This is what I'm talking about as far as uh, a, there was a big drop off. And I don't, I don't know why there was such a big drop off. I don't really remember uh, the reason why there was such a big drop off in year two he was. They were six and ten. He had a fifty-eight point two percent completion percentage. I mean, that's probably a big reason why they dropped off so much. He had a uh, twenty-eight hundred and sixty passing yards. He had just eleven touchdowns and twelve interceptions. A very down year for Bledsoe. I believe that was the year that Peerless Price left, and they kind of broke up the dynamic duo of Eric Molds and Peerless Price. Price wanted to be paid like a number one wide receiver. The Bills didn't want to pay him like a number one wide receiver. I believe the Atlanta Falcons paid him like a number one wide receiver. And then they found out exactly what the Bills knew, which is he is a very solid complimentary piece, but he cannot do it on his own. Moving on to year three of Bledsoe, he was nine and seven. This was the year that was absolute heartbreak because somehow, some way, in the final game of the season, the Bills could not beat the third string of the Pittsburgh Steelers in order to move them to 10-6 and and get them into the playoffs. All they had to do that year, if I remember correctly, is win that game and they were in. Instead, they lost and they the drought from the playoffs continued. But in that year, Bledsoe, uh, Bledsoe's downfall continued. He had... Uh, a 56.9% completion percentage. He threw for 2,932 yards. He, he did have 20 touchdowns, but he also had 16 interceptions. Again, that was one of the years where the Bills could have really broke through and the drought wouldn't, wouldn't have been so long. And a lot of things in Bills history may have been different had they been able to beat the third string of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But unfortunately, they didn't and a streak went on. So now we're going to move on to the second best quarterback, in my opinion, since Jim Kelly 
And Bills fans, again, they might hate me, but there's a reason why I put him on the list, and it is Tyrod Taylor. Now, Tyrod Taylor is the epitome of what I would consider is a good stop-back quarterback, or stop-gap quarterback, I beg your pardon. He had a 22-20 and record as a starter. In year one, he was 7-6. and He threw for 63.7% completion percentage. He threw for... Uh, 3,035 yards. He had 20 touchdowns and six inter- to just six interceptions, which is a phenomenal touchdown to interception ratio. And one of the things that we all thought that Tyrod could bring was his rushing ability. And in that year, he had 568 rushing yards and he also added four rushing touchdowns. I think if the Bills defense was better, that they would have been able to be better than where they were. I don't remember exactly where the Bills finished in Tyrod's first year, 8-8 eight and eight possibly. Um, but again, Tyrod Taylor had some pretty decent stats uh, as far as his limitations go. And we've seen that that was, we thought that that might be the floor for Taylor, uh, the 3,000 yards and the 500 plus rushing yards. But we quickly realized that that was, in fact, the ceiling for Tyrod Taylor. In his next year, he went seven wins and eight losses. He threw for 61.7% completion percentage. He threw for 3,023 yards. He had 17 touchdowns to just four interceptions. One of the big things with Tyrod Taylor and why I believe they were able to win the amount of games they did despite his limitations was the fact that he did take care of the football and he did not throw a lot of interceptions. In that year, he also had 580 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns. Now the following year, again, like I said, we all kind of understood the limitations of what, we all understood what Tyrod was. We knew he was going to get you potentially 3,000 yards. You knew he was going to throw somewhere between 15 and 20 touchdowns, and you knew he wasn't going to turn the ball over a lot. And you knew he could give you roughly 500-ish rushing yards, um, but he he could never really win the game with his arm. If he was behind, Tyrod Taylor had an absolutely abysmal uh, record going into the second half, being down by something like eight or more points or seven or more points, something like that. I think he was like one in nine or one in 10 or something absurd uh, like that. So again, you really started to understand the limitations of Tyrod going into the third season. And, uh, you know, the Bills really didn't have a better option, um, to be honest. We thought that Maybe we could, you know, roll with him for another year, kind of see what we had. And in year three, he was eight and six as a starter. He threw for 62.6% completion percentage. He uh, had 2,799 passing yards, I beg your pardon. He had just 14 touchdowns, uh, passing touchdowns, and four interceptions again that year. He did run for 427 yards, and he had four touchdowns. That was the year where the Bills were kind of in the playoff hunt. Uh, I'm sure everyone remembers this very vividly. They wanted to see if they could upgrade, even if it was just a half an upgrade, the quarterback position. They wanted to throw Nathan Peterman in. They thought they took a flyer on Peterman in the fifth round. They thought that maybe 
you know, the fact that he could throw with some timing and anticipation, um, that he would be an upgrade from where, where Tyrod was. But it turns out that he was just never really ready, especially in the game that they threw him in against one of the best defenses in the league. I, I, in an away game, mind you, I don't, I don't know why you would put him in in that game. You know, in that game, I was excited to see what, what Peterman can do. And of course, he had probably one of the most historic, historically awful first halves that you could potentially imagine. He threw five first half interceptions and then Tyrod came in and kind of cleaned up the rest of that game. But in that year, Tyrod Taylor was the majority starting quarterback and he did just enough with a very good defense and a pretty decent running game to get them to the playoffs. He was the starter. He was the first starting quarterback to get them to the playoffs since 1999. And that, my friends, is the reason why I have him as number two on the list of the best four quarterbacks since Jim Kelly. Now, I think a lot of people really will understand who the next guy is in uh, in our conversation and the reason why I picked him. It is Doug Flutie. The reason why I picked Doug Flutie, I think his record kind of speaks for himself. He didn't necessarily <clears throat> necessarily have a ton of passing yards. He didn't necessarily have a ton of touchdowns, but he had a ton of wins in the games that he played. In his in his his record overall, I beg your pardon, was 21 wins and just 9 losses as a Buffalo Bills starter. In his first year uh, starting for the Bills, he had 7 wins and 3 losses. He threw for 57.1% completion percentage. He had 2,711 yards. He had 20 touchdowns to just 11 interceptions in his first year. In his second year, he had... Um, 10 wins, 5 losses in uh, overall for the Buffalo Bills. He had 55.2% completion percentage, and he threw for 3,171 yards, 19 touchdowns, but he did have 16 interceptions. And then he followed it up with a uh, year three where he was 4-1 and as the starter. He threw for 50. 7.1% completion percentage, sorry about that, 1,700 yards, 8 touchdowns, and 3 interceptions. Year 2 is where Flutie got them basically to the playoffs, um, the first time that they had been there since Jim Kelly retired, and for some ungodly reason, they benched him and started Rob Johnson in the playoffs simply because Johnson had a a, a strong... Week 17 game that didn't mean a freaking thing. And the brass, because if you watch the football life of Doug Flutie, you realize that it wasn't a coaching decision that sat Doug Flutie in that playoff game. It was a higher-up decision. It was a GM and higher decision that wanted their big-money quarterback to play in the playoffs. And of course... I'm going to say it, and it's probably going to make a lot of people's stomachs turn. It was the Music City Miracle. I still believe it was a forward lateral, and all the tape still shows me that it was a forward lateral, and yet we still got stiffed on that play, and 
Of course, the Titans go on to play in the Super Bowl, which I think the Bills could have potentially gotten there because, if I remember correctly, um, the Titans didn't really have a huge problem going through the rest of the teams and getting to that Super Bowl and were one yard away from beating the greatest show on turf, which is the, which was the St. Louis Rams at the time and Kurt Warner. And the Bills were right. They could have been right there. They could have been in the, they could have potentially been in the Super Bowl in 1999. And I think that the brass making the decision and forcing Doug or Doug Whaley and forcing um, Wade's hand in benching um, Doug Flutie, I think that kind of put a curse on the franchise as a whole. And the Bills, again, didn't make the playoffs for almost two decades. Now, obviously, there has been a lot of hype in this upcoming season for Josh Allen. And will Josh Allen take that big next step? Will he finally, finally be the franchise quarterback that we all hope he can be? He showed flashes last year of absolute brilliance, but then he showed flashes of kind of what people saw him do in college, missing open receivers, you know, not getting the ball out of his hands quickly enough, not making reads, things like that, wanting to go downfield too much, not taking what the defense gives him. Um, And just overall, you know, he played like a rookie, in my opinion. He played like a rookie. He looked like a rookie. But as the games went on, you've seen that he got more comfortable. You've seen that he was able to kind of check the ball down a little bit more. You've seen that he was able to deliver the ball into some really tight windows. He has an absolutely unbelievable arm. Uh, probably the best arm I have ever seen uh, play football. I Obviously, a lot of people are going to mention Pat Mahomes to me and, and talk about how amazing his arm is. But as far as somebody that I have watched on the Buffalo Bills, he has got the best arm I have seen by 100 miles. He definitely has the potential. He has all the tools. He has the size, he has the speed, he has the arm. Does he have the brains and does he have the wherewithal to be able to stand in that pocket when the pocket's breaking down a little bit and step up in the pocket and deliver a ball downfield or will he kind of revert to what he did as a rookie and just kind of run the ball and, you know, last I mean, last year he did set a Buffalo Bills franchise record for rushing yards. As a rookie, he did lead the team in rushing, but... I don't want my quarterback to lead my team in rushing. I want my quarterback to be able to stand in that pocket, make pre-snap reads, and know where he's going with the football, and get the ball out of his hands fast. Tom Brady is not an athletic quarterback in any stretch of the, or in any sense of the word, and he is arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Athleticism doesn't necessarily always translate into being a uh, a good quarterback. It is more of a cerebral game at quarterback. Does being able to escape pressure and get out of the pocket and throw on the run, all those things are great and all those things are kind of being utilized better in today's NFL. But again, I'm just not sure 
if Allen can really get to a level where he can be that franchise guy. I really, really hope he can, and I'm very excited that he, with the weapons that the Bills added, I'm excited that they completely redid the offensive line because their their line was just absolute trash last year. And Allen, on a lot of plays, as soon as he hiked the ball, was running for his life. That's probably the reason why he had a franchise record in rushing yards. But I think with the weapons that they added and the fact that you have a revamped offensive line, you have some <clears throat> a new uh, offensive coordinator, you have a new quarterback's coach, I think a lot of this is going to benefit Allen. Of course, another full season of off, you know, another full season of offseason work, um, another full a full training camp of being the starter and getting those first team reps. I think that can only help him. I think that's going to help him immensely, and I think that we're going to see a pretty significant jump in what he's going to be able to do on the field now. How do you measure success for Josh Allen? Is it going to be stats? Do you want him to throw for 3,500 yards, rush for 300 yards, you know, have 24 touchdowns passing with 12 interceptions and, you know, four rushing touchdowns? Or do you only care about the wins? It doesn't matter what his stats are as long as he wins games when he needs to win games, performs when he needs to perform. If he throws for 3,000 yards, but the Bills win 11 games, is that a success? In my opinion, I think so. I think as long as as Josh Allen looks like he's comfortable and takes that next step and he's able to win games with his arm. That's what I want to see. That's what I think the Bills have lacked for a very, very long time is a quarterback that when you're down in the in the fourth quarter, you know, with maybe 10 minutes to go, five minutes to go, down by a touchdown, down by 10 points, a quarterback that can bring you back with his arm and get big chunk plays. And I think that's what Josh Allen specializes in. He specializes in big chunk plays and pushing the ball downfield and, and really driving that thing. And, and, and like I said, getting those big chunk plays to save time on the clock and bring his team back. That's what I hope he is. That's what I hope he can do. And that's what I hope for for this season. Now, I did a, uh, a segment on the podcast and I picked the Bills. Now, I picked the Bills at 8-8. Eight and eight, And as training camp goes along, I will probably do another pick the Bills and kind of go over their schedule a little bit more in depth and kind of see where I have the Bills uh, this year. Again, I had them at 8-8. Eight and eight. A lot of people are saying at least 10-6, and six, maybe even 11-5. and five. And I want to pump the brakes on that because I always remind people that until I see it with my own eyes, I will never believe it. The Bills haven't won 10 games since 1999. The Bills haven't won 10 games since 1999. I told you they were always kind of a middling team, anywhere between that six, six to nine wins range. And I think that you have to hit 10 wins to get into the playoffs this year. Can the Bills do it? I think they've added enough that they should be able to do it. And if the defense plays like the second ranked defense like they did last year, I don't see why the Bills can't get 10 wins this year. Um... And that's that's really going to be the question. Can Josh Allen do enough to get the Bills 10 wins? You know Sean McDermott is going to have his defense flying around. 
You know, you know he is. He's a defensive-minded coach. But is the Bills' offense going to be able to produce enough points for the defense to not have to necessarily maybe even be the second-ranked uh, rate defense in the league? Maybe they drop to five. Maybe they drop to eight. But be it, they can still be a top-tier defense and and have that offensive production that allows the Bills to get those 10 wins that they've been craving since 1999, to get those double-digit wins that we've wanted to see since 1999. That's going to do it for today's podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This week's podcast, I I beg your pardon. Uh, I had a good time. Remember, you guys can follow me on Twitter, at Sports Talk Buffalo 716. Let anybody that you know, uh, that you, if you enjoy listening to me, that they can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor. And let me know, uh, follow me on Twitter, and let me know what you guys think of the new logo. Uh, I got it specially made. I had a friend make it up for me. I, I think it's really killer. It's way better than the, the first logo I had. So I just wanted to throw that out there also. Let your friends know. Let your family know um, to follow this podcast. Thanks again, guys. I hope you have a good week.